Adventure Anything. Jeanette Barnes brings you insights from people behind the news and people like you. Now, Venture Anything. Hello, we're speaking today with Eric Stevens, Chief Development Officer at Vineyard Wind. Welcome, Eric. Hello. Good to be here. Talk a little bit, um, just to introduce people who may not be familiar with your project about um, the turbines and where they're going. Is it it's correct that it's up to 100 turbines, possibly, depending on how large they are? Right. It'll probably end up being something less than 100 turbines, um, because the turbines that we're looking at now are, are larger than um, 8 megawatts, and uh, it will be an 800 megawatt project, so uh, something less than 100 turbines. And they'd be located about 14, the closest turbine would be located about 14 miles um, from either Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard. Um, and that puts about 30 miles south of the Cape. I've read uh, that the, the maximum size of the turbines is somewhere around 10, 11 megawatts. Is that, what are you actually looking at? Uh, the, the maximum size now is, is um, is that we're permitting is about 10, 10 megawatts. Um, okay. So for this project that we're, we're permitting right in the process of permitting right now um, would be something about 10 megawatts. Um, but the technology is changing very quickly. And, um, you know, with each new project, the, the turbines are getting bigger. Mm. Yeah, so. actually, when I, when I tried to do some little internet research on that, it was like every story I looked at had a different number for what was the maximum. So it does right. seem like it's a, it's a moving target. Right, right. Um, and will people on either the Cape or the islands be able to see the turbines from land? From from the Cape, no. Um, from uh, Nantucket in the vineyard, uh, there are points where where you could see them. Um, uh, we've done photo simulations, and um, those are available out on uh, Nantucket in the vineyard uh, for people to uh, to stop by and see them. If they um, didn't get to one of our uh, open house events where we we presented them, um, the photo simulations, by the way, are um, they're printed out on a, on a large uh, format to really give a, the full sense of the um, uh, of the, what it would actually be like in real life. Um, but you you can see them at times. Obviously, it's very weather dependent. Most of the times here in New England, you you can't see more than fourteen miles anyway. Um, you know, given the either the summer haze or or uh, fog and whatnot, um, but on a clear day, you could see you could you can see the tops of the turbines in the distance from from certain locations. Anyway, okay. And uh, tell us a little bit about what what's the latest on you know what you're doing now in terms of um, maybe surveying or what, what permits and all that. Yeah, so we're, we're uh, doing a number of surveys offshore right now. Um, the one is the uh, doing more uh, geological survey, and what that means is um, using uh, sonar type technology to measure the water depth, um, and also um, to uh, be able to um, model the uh, ground conditions beneath the sea floor. So whether there's rocks in the area, um, the density of the soil, and that kind of thing. Um, and we're doing that along the cable route, with the proposed cable route, but also in the area where the turbines would go. Um, and then the other thing we're doing is what's called geotechnical survey, which means actually um, uh, using a probe or a, a small um, drill kind of setup to actually get samples 
um, of the soil of the seabed uh, um, and, and bring it up uh, to be able to, to study it actually physically, um, analyze the, uh, the, the material that's there. Um, and then the other thing we're doing is uh, video surveys, um, and that's more for looking at different habitat types, um, whether it's, um, you know, what, what, what different um, shellfish might be there, whelk, and, and that sort of thing. Eelgrass is something we're looking for. Um, and then the other final one might be um, uh, what's called benthic grabs, which is basically kind of a small clamshell device that scientists use to... Uh, to get a sample of the um, top layer of the seabed where uh, clams and, and other um, shellfish and other organisms uh, live that you couldn't see from a video survey to be able to characterize um, the infauna, as it's called, that, that actually burrow into the ground. Hmm. So to, okay. to get a, a sense of the, um, you know, are there any uh, unexpected uh, uh, species and you know what's what's the what's the uh, abundance of species in particular areas and things like that. Obviously, some of those animals that are living in the seabed would have to be displaced when you put in foundations, right? Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. But we're t- we're talking about things like you know surf clams, um, uh, you know whelk, um, things that are are harvested um, in terms of the uh, the sub bottom animals, um, and. Uh, and then the other uh, survey that's that's been completed already was was doing a, a, f- a final check for um, um, uh, lease turns in the area. Oh, okay. Um, in the spring, we did that earlier in the spring when uh, when you'd expect to see them um, if they were there, and basically we confirmed what what previous studies had had been telling us that there there really isn't a lot off, uh, this far offshore because. Um, you know, terns are a short a shorebird, uh, um, and we're actually pretty far offshore. So, um, the question was whether they'd be um, where they would be in their migration pattern. It seems like that's not an area that they use from the studies we've done. Okay. Um, do you have any news to share with us today about um, your contractors? Who's going to be doing the being the major suppliers? No, unfortunately, not yet. Uh, we're, we're, our strategy on that is to uh, keep the competition among the different suppliers going up until the, the very last moment. Um, you know, that's that's what uh, it's uh, a, a lot of large uh, projects will do um, because it, it gets some, uh, the, you know, it gets you the better prices um, and and really um, encourages people to think about innovative solutions about different problems. Um, different ways of, of doing the job that can that can save money. Um, so we're 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 tra- actually trying to keep that competition going as long as we can. Okay, that so. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the other day at the uh, the supply chain forum, um, your CEO talked a little bit about the three tiers of of supply, mm-hmm. right? And um, he was saying, at least afterward, with the reporters that. The, a lot of the, the tier one suppliers, so the people who are actually bidding in directly to you for the big items, mm-hmm. the big responsibility, that those are likely to be coming from Europe, right? Because they have the experience. So, right. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the, what, how, um, how local contractors could fit into that? Right. It's, um, and I, I would say it isn't even so much that they're European companies, it's just that there's Few question, a few companies in the world that can do these very specialized um, uh, fabrications, 
and manufacturing. I mean, there's only three off, offshore wind turbine manufacturers in the whole world. Um, so it's, it's not, and they, ha- they do happen to be from Europe. So it's not that, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, the issue isn't so much European. It's just that there's few of them. So, um, so given that, uh, you know, especially here in the U.S. where, you know, ours is the first large-scale project, you can't really expect that those uh, few uh, large companies would have much operation here in the U.S. yet. Um, but as with any manufacturing or fabrication, you know, the, the main large company um, that actually has their name played on, on the turbine, say, is turning around and hiring hundreds of other different um, companies to do to supply parts, supply materials, um, do subcontracting, and so on. So, you know, if you think about building a car, for example, um, you know, really what is, say, GM doing is they're buying parts from all different other suppliers and putting them together and then putting their name on it. Um, so, so if you think about it that way, most of the jobs actually aren't, uh, not only are they not with us as the contractor, they're not actually even with the um, the, the tier one uh, company, if you want to call it that. They're actually with the uh, people who um, supply the materials, um, supply the subcomponents, um, who are subcontracted to put them together. Um, and so actually where there's the most opportunity for local companies actually is the area where there's the most jobs for that reason. Um, and, and so really what we're trying to encourage is for local companies who have um, skills or experience that are translatable to, um, to offshore wind to, you know, this that actually is a great opportunity because, um, you know, just for example, uh, there's a lot of welding that goes on. Um, and, and while, Knowing how to weld a an offshore wind uh, tower, say, is is a specific thing that will have a, a large tier one uh, name brand on it. At the end of the day, welding is welding, and uh, so there's a lot of opportunities for multiple companies, for example, to actually be contracted to do the welding, as an example, and so on down with you know all the supplies and and everything else that that's needed to build the project. Okay, and we're still looking at possibly the end of 2019 for construction to start? Yep, yeah, the end of 2019, and the actual on-site construction would probably start, you know, very early in the next, in the 2020. Okay, so the power comes on shore by cable, and then can you just give us a really quick review for listeners who might not know, how does that actually get to your house? So um, starting with the turbine area, 14 miles offshore, each of the turbines is, is uh, linked with a cable, uh, a medium voltage cable, um, similar voltage to what runs um, up and down all of our streets that you see overhead in your neighborhood. Um, and, and they're sort of connected kind of like uh, uh, lights on a Christmas string light. And uh, they go into an offshore substation um, all these, so it'll be maybe you know eight or ten strings, say, of of these different turbines. They go into the offshore substation. The voltage is stepped up to a higher transmission level voltage that's used for transmitting power over long distances. And then there'll be two cables to bring the power from the offshore substation, um, buried under the seabed, and then buried under the roads of either Yarmouth or Barnstable, uh, to the substation. 
um, that we'll be building, which is adjacent to an existing substation um, owned by the, uh, the utility out there. And, and then what we'll be doing is um, the equipment that we put in will um, make that final connection to the existing uh, New England grid. And from there, once it's on the New England grid, um, it, uh, you know, the energy uh, goes throughout New England just, just the way any other generation plant puts its energy onto the grid. Um, and then uh, you know, there's, there's an accounting for that to, uh, to bring the, the, the benefit of that. Um, you know, the, the commercial aspect of it is, is done through basically an accounting mechanism with the utilities. Um, and then the other aspect of it is because we're connecting where we are, even though the energy goes, you know, throughout New England, um, wherever it might be applied commercially, the fact that you're making that connection um, there on Cape Cod um, it actually can help enhance reliability um, in the area of, of Cape Cod because it's where we're connecting is actually at the very edge um, or the end of the line, if you will, of the high voltage transmission system. And uh, even without being a, an electrical engineer, which, which I'm not either, uh, you can sort of intuit that you know, if, if you're drawing on electricity from the very end of the line, you know, it, it, there'll be times when there's a lot of demand, say, um, where you can't get the energy out to the very end of the line uh, when you need it most that can, you know, provide challenges um, to the grid system generally. And so by us providing power at the very edge there, it actually makes the grid in the area of Cape Cod more robust and stronger. Um, so, for example, last winter, um, there was a big storm. One of the power lines um, near uh, the, uh, the, the Plymouth uh, nuclear plant uh, came down because of ice or wind. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there was backups in place, so there was no, no issue. But um, if those backups, in turn, had failed, it would have been a, a problem for the Cape region, the potential for blackout. And so having... Um, large amounts of power uh, from an offshore wind farm um, uh, injected or provided into the um, the grid in that area would have helped in those kind of situations and just make the the grid more robust and stronger and better more resilient better able to withstand um, things like ice storms and so on or particularly high usage periods okay I want to talk a little bit about uh, the job training uh-huh. part. Uh, that's something that I know a lot of our uh, readers have been interested in. Um, when you were still in the competition stage with the other two companies, everyone was pledging you know, funding for training, and um, it seemed like the, the other two bidders had a, a more specific outline that they revealed publicly of you know, what college they were partnering with and what they were going to do. They were gonna, one was going to endow a professor and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, your statement, you, you pledged money, but you, what you were going to do was much more general. Is mm-hmm. there anything you can tell us now about you know, schools you might be working with or anything? Yes. The reason it was general wasn't because we um, didn't want to make specific commitments. It was really that we thought um, everybody would be better served by um, having, you know, an inclusive conversation about you know what's the best way to uh, to roll out a program across the region um, that uh, that that works for everyone. 
Um, and and so you know what we said we would do uh, and what we um, will be doing uh, very soon. I, we actually have a first meeting uh, next week to start planning this. Is um, you know, bringing together all these different colleges and, and schools, so whether it's the Votech School out in uh, um, Martha's Vineyard or, you know, Cape Cod Community College and, um, you know, BCC here in New Bedford, um, and bringing everyone together and, and figuring out what's the best way um, to put together a comprehensive regional program or strategy uh, to to so that so that we can you know make make best use of the resources that we have already, um, and and also make sure that uh, you know the the workforce gets the training it needs, um, and the, but and then also um, you know that it that it works for everybody whether whether you're in New Bedford or out in the Vineyard or or out on the Cape, and um, and also that it's setting a foundation for. Um, an ongoing program and, and something that can grow as the as the as the industry grows. Um, we're you know we're really seeing this as a long term effort, and uh, you know we think it's more valuable to put in place sort of fundamentals and structures um, that can be grown and and scaled up as the industry grows, um, rather than just sort of quickly making decisions about a particular class or something like that. Um, and and so we didn't, you know, we're, we're not the experts in workforce training. Um, so we wanted to have uh, the flexibility and opportunity to meet with those experts and 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 together and decide on what's best for the region. Has it been tough for you at all to try to balance uh, kind of the interests of the New Bedford area versus Cape and Islands? Because you know, with the, like with the other companies, everyone had committed to uh, you know stage installation out of New Bedford, but the others did not also have. Um, that commitment to the Cape and Islands to do things out there. So is that is that difficult? No, um, no I wouldn't say it's difficult, but it's, it's just you know, something that we need to work towards. Um, so, but I think our project does sort of span the, the Cape and Islands and South Coast geography more than some of the other projects did. So, you know, we're looking at O&M out on, out on Martha's Vineyard. Um, our cables are coming ashore on the Cape, and uh, and we'll be building the project <clears throat> mostly based out of um, New Bedford, and, and we're, we're looking really hard at, at Brayton Point as well. Um, but every, I think everybody we've met with understands that everything doesn't happen in one place. You know that depending on what whether just geography and 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 you know what what infrastructure is in a location. You know, everybody seems to understand that you know this is a large project with a lot of diverse elements, and and different areas will have different roles. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are interested in the uh, economic development aspect of it, and and that's why we're we're trying to be really thoughtful and and um, deliberate about how we roll out a, a workforce program to uh, to make sure that that opportunity is available to everyone. So. Okay. Thanks for coming in. Is there sure. anything else you wanted to uh, share before we go? Uh, no, I, I mean we're we're very excited to have been uh, been selected, uh, and uh, we're really we're continuing our hard work, and uh, um, look forward to uh, continuing meetings uh, with with uh, folks in the, in the um, different towns where our project will be, and uh, we're, we're excited to be doing this. Okay, thank you so much, Eric Stevens from Vineyard Wind. Thank you.